Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict Podcast, where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world, with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict at the weekend. And I'm looking back at something I did recently. So that's why I'm here on a Sunday afternoon doing a trip report. Yes, I went to a far-off distant place in the world. It's called Raja Ampat. (laughs) I paused deliberately there because you might be just scratching your head thinking, what on earth is he talking about? No, Raja Ampat is not a place known to many people except maybe, maybe avid scuba divers. Now, adding to that, it's not really the easiest place to get to on our planet Earth. However, the tolerance of nighttime flights, unreliable ferry and boat rides was well worth it to me. Now, in a roundabout way, I landed at Jakarta Airport in Indonesia. Prior to going there, I spent a few days in the great city of Bangkok, just enjoying the chaos of it all. Well, that's another story for another time, maybe. So from going from the chaos of Bangkok to Jakarta, or where I was going, it's the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, actually, Jakarta is a busy airport, by the way. So after reaching Jakarta Airport on Singapore Airlines, collected my luggage, and I had to endure a seven-hour layover. Yeah, late at night, before taking a four-hour Batik air flight that departed at 12.30 a.m. in the morning. Four-hour flight. It was packed. Anyway, we arrived at well, not the ultimate destination, but a place called Sarong at 6.30 in the morning. Now, mathematically, it doesn't add up, right? 12.30 a.m. to 6.30, but there's a two-hour time difference in that four hours, right? So effectively, local time, I landed at 6.30 in the morning. Suffice to say, I didn't really sleep for the duration of that flight. Now, Sarong is located on the island of West Papua. So it's got that two-hour time difference. You want to figure where that at is. You just have to Google it. You may have heard of Papua New Guinea, sort of close to that. Not too far from Australia, I guess. But basically, it's a long way away. So Sarong is where I landed. And Sarong Airport, by the way, it's not exactly the most uh, likable airport I've ever flown into. I'm not going to say more about that. But I was met at baggage claim 
actually just outside of arrivals. By a representative from the resort I was to be staying at. And the lady, nice lady, she took me to a restaurant in preparation for waiting for a ferry. So we went to the restaurant, had a bit of breakfast, hung out there for a while. I really needed a sleep, to be honest with you. Then we went to Sarong Marina, where I boarded a ferry. Now, this ferry, well, again, it's not actually luxurious. I was in the VIP section, which was average at best. So we embarked on a two-hour journey to a place called Waisai, W-A-I-S-A-I, on the island of Weijio. And so I was met by another representative from the resort I was ultimately going to stay at. And they took me to another boat ride, smaller boat this time, it wasn't a ferry, for about a one-hour boat ride to where I was ultimately going to be staying. About an hour boat ride to another island called Gam. Finally, I made it into the region of Raja Ampat. More about that in a minute. We docked at the resort I was staying. It was called the Papua Explorers Resort. Deep in the middle of Raja Ampat, which is in the Coral Triangle, which is located in the most marine, biodiverse place on Earth. Check it out. I think quite like it, or at least that's what my reading told me, and that's what I found out by fellow scuba divers. Now, my accommodation was a spacious overwater bungalow. In total, there were only about 25 people, max, staying at the resort. All of them, though, were there primarily for the same reason as me, which was scuba diving. Now, the service and food in the resort, Papua Explorers, was superb considering that we were basically in the middle of nowhere. Now, this resort houses the Rajah Ampat SEA Sea Centre, which helps conserve marine life through science, education and awareness. It also supports the local community. It's hard to imagine there was a local community in the area I was at, but more about that later. Now, recently, before this podcast will air, there was a little bit in one of the daily newspapers, CNN, I think it was. Maybe that was it. And the article was called Indonesia's Raja Ampat, The Last Paradise on Earth. Well, I was about to find out if that was possibly true. Now, before I went to Raja Ampat, I had to get insurance. Now, I tried a few insurance companies uh, but they had a limitation because I was scuba diving. They said, well, you can't really go below 60 feet, which is absolutely nonsense when you're diving, right? How are you going to monitor that, especially if you had an accident? So I took out insurance with DAN, the Divers Alert Network, which is the best thing, actually. And I was covered. That was a requirement uh, by the resort. We've got to have insurance coverage because if anything happened in this location, 
it's sort of a problematic and would be very, very expensive to get to like a decompression chamber, for example. Hospitals, another issue. So we basically had to be careful. So we were all set, basically, to uh, enjoy the location. Now, after a day of rest, which I needed because of the brutal travel schedule, what I did, I just went for a swim, basically. And after that rest day, it was time to meet some of the locals. Underwater, that is. Now, with over 1,500 species of fish and 600 species of coral, which is about 75% of the world's total, which is unbelievable being in this particular area, I was expecting to see many wonders of the ocean. I had my GoPro camera with me and I was ready for action. Now, previous to this, I dived in some well-known places uh, before which are renowned for diving. For example, the Caribbean, Cayman Island, Turks and Caicos, Bonaire, or Great Diving, Palau, which was up to this moment in time my favourite, at Sipadan, Fiji, uh, Tahiti, the Andaman Sea, west of Thailand, Gulf of Thailand, they're all brilliant dive locations. However, once I started diving at Rajar Ampat, I quickly came to the conclusion that this area comes out on top, primarily because of the pristine condition of the coral reef system and the variety and quantity of marine life. Now, in some areas of the world, the coral reef system isn't as good as it used to be, mainly because of the warming of the oceans, you know, climate change. However, Raja Ampat, the coral reef system, was in wonderful condition. Don't know why, maybe it's secluded or shaded, protected from the islands that are in that area. I don't know. Now, I know this is a strange comparison, but activity-wise, underwater around Raja Ampat reminded me of Atlanta Airport on a busy weekday. It was just busy. <laughs> it's full of marine life. It was just beautiful. Lots of vibrant colors. It was wonderful. So, of course, I took a lot of videos. But what else did I see? Fish, of course. And I tell you this, there's a lot of strange stuff down there. There's beautiful fish. And there's really strange fish. Many of these fish are masters of camouflage and disguise. You can hardly see them. Well, what did I see? To name a few. The Wobbegong Shark, Stingrays, Bicolor Angelfish, Black Tip Reef Shark, Leaf Scorpion Fish, Frogfish, Batfish, Papuan Garden Eel, Walking Shark, a Bumphead Parrotfish, and Crocodile Fish. Interesting. Now, luckily, I filmed all of this, so I have proof of these weird fish deep down in the water. Otherwise, no one would believe me. And I made a great video of it, actually. Now, I shared my dive boat with a local dive master. And there were several of them associated with the resort because the other people had small boats as well. With me was a local dive master, a couple, a Chinese-American couple who lived in California. 
Yeah, they were Chinese. They looked partially Chinese, but they've lived all their life in the United States. And, of course, the boat driver. All right? He took us to all the dive sites. Now, one day, after completing a particular dive, we pulled onto a place called Bat Island, B-A-T, Bat Island, for a picnic lunch. Because they are nocturnal, no bats were hanging around the time when our boat pulled in, pulled in on the beach. So suffice to say, there was nothing flying around. But there were a few feral cats that were somewhat sociable, mainly because we stopped on this area for a picnic lunch. So the feral cats came around, and they were sort of cuddly and friendly, which they're not normally. So here I was on an island where there were bats and cats. Now, I wonder how they get along with each other. I just wondered that. (laughs) Anyway, that was sort of weird. Another day, we stopped at a small, isolated island where a small group of people lived, plus a few friendly dogs. Now, one approached me, a dog that is, in the hope to get a piece of my sandwich. And I said, sit. And he did. The dog actually sat down, so I felt obliged to give him a piece of my sandwich. So, it sort of begs the question. Here I was on an island, basically in the middle of nowhere, where none of the locals, I'm talking about the human beings, did not speak a word of English, but the dogs, or that dog that came up to me, understood the word sit. How about that? There has to be an explanation for that somewhere. Now, during my stay, I was fortunate to dive three times each day at different dive sites. Some dives were a little challenging because of the underwater currents. Now, before I went there, I had to uh, show my qualification for diving. Uh, It's really uh, a dive area that you sort of have to have an advanced certification, which I have got advanced certification, nitrox certification, and National Geographic, as well as CMAS, which is a French governing board. And most of the divers use nitrox, which is enriched air, which means instead of having 20% oxygen you breathe in you have about 30 31 percent it gives you like a second wind later on a day but it enables you to stay in the water longer but not deeper definitely not deeper so have to bear that in mind so there is a training course to be able to use nitrox gas but pretty much all the divers did that while they were there but there were these small inconveniences of currents i did take a, a reef hook with me You don't hook it onto a coral reef, but a rock or something, so you don't get swept away. And it wasn't too bad. I've I've encountered this before, so I'm pretty much used to it now. Well, I had to be careful because any bad decisions made by me deep down are not good in a location where medical, medical help is a long way away. Now, on my last full day, I participated on an uphill jungle trek with a couple of biologists in search of the region's bird of paradise. Now, we were guided by uh, one of the local villagers. He seemed to be the man in charge, actually. So to get to this village, it was a five-minute boat ride, a few-minute walk, and there was a guy waiting for us, an old man, actually. He must have been well into his 60s, 70s, fit as a fiddle, and decided to lead us on a steep uphill climb. Right? It was a hard slog. 
So we reached the top of a mountain after about an hour. So we're waiting for the bird of paradise to appear. However, it seemed like this much sought after bird took a day off work or decided to sleep over elsewhere. Didn't turn up. No bird. Oh, well, what can you do? But we had to descend the mountain, and especially before nightfall. So it took us about 45 minutes to descend. A bit harder on the knees coming down on a rocky surface, but we made it down. And we then walked through the local village there and sort of uh, learned a little bit how the local people live. Small community, tight-knit community for sure. There was a school, there was a church, and obviously people hung around together. And I'm not sure where they got the food from, but they've all got boats so they can just go to like Sarong or nearby and uh, do their shopping. Maybe it's delivered. So this was very educational for me because I got to see how the locals live. And the happy bunch, right? Wealth doesn't mean happiness. We all know that. Now, got back to my resort. This was the last night I was there. And at dinner, then we were entertained because residents from that local village turned up to entertain us with traditional singing and dancing. This was just delightful. Most of the dancers were young girls and had two boys there, but the whole musicians were, I don't know if they were the parents, but they played the, the bongos and like guitars. And it was, it was just excellent, excellent. So it was very, very nice sort of evening to be entertained by the locals and they all went around and shook hands with everyone not many of us in there like I say so excellent thing to happen that brought a fitting end to a wonderful six days in a region of the world that is still unspoiled it really is I look at the beaches I look at the water the coral reef the fish light everything is unspoiled no tourists well except me and a few others and uh, it's not overwhelmed with tourists like where I live today, which it is. It's a land of beauty for sure. Land of beauty definitely where residents, human and marine, uh, the marine life seem to be very happy, completely unaffected by the problems elsewhere in the world. Now, on the way back, I stopped on the great island of Phuket to sort of chill out and relax for a few days as best as I possibly could just basically hung around there, walked along the beach, just ate, drank a few beers, listened to some music, and that was about it. From there, I made my way to Singapore, about an hour and a half flight, and before taking the world's second longest flight to Newark on Singapore Airlines. 18 hours, 45 minutes. Notice I said the second longest because the longest flight is actually Singapore to JFK, which is 18 hours, 50 minutes, five minutes longer. Jet lag, of course. I didn't sleep well on the plane. It took me almost a week to get over it, but it mattered not because now I have memories of a lifetime. Check out this YouTube video. It's on my YouTube channel, Malcolm Teasdale, or check out for English Guy or Travel Addict. It's going to be on there or check out, or Google, Raja Ampat, you may see it pop up there. Anyway, that brought to an end, a wonderful trip. I'm so glad I did this. It's been on my bucket list for years. I finally went to the best dive site in the world.
Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe. Thank you.